Today on CityCast Chicago, earlier this week as part of construction on the L, CTA moved a whole ass building. Come to find out this is hardly new in Chicago. We've been moving buildings for almost two centuries. Hell, the entire city was built on a swamp and we actually lifted ourselves out of it. Streets, buildings, everything. Before he was really involved in railroads and manufacturing of railroad cars and Pullman palace cars and building Pullman, he was lifting Chicago out of the mud. The CTA tells us how to move thousand ton building and the preservationist explains why it's the better alternative to demolition. It's Thursday, August 5th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Anyone who has seen the brick and gray stone three flats that are pretty much common around our neighborhoods knows those buildings were built to last. They're not some flimsy modern-day construction. The Valtravers building in the Newport Avenue Historic District on the north side is one of those buildings. It was built 20 years before Wrigley Field and even before the Red Line. The reason the Valtravers building had to move is because we are completely reconstructing the red and purple line tracks north of the Belmont station. If you look at a bird's eye view map, you can see that there is a curve in between Belmont and Addison. So this, the Valtravers building was built from 1891 to 1894. And so when the CTA was building the red line in the early 1900s, the owner of the Valtravers building refused to sell it. So the CTA said, okay, well, we'll build around you. So when you see that curve in between Belmont and Addison, it's because the tracks were physically built around the Valtravers building. So we moved that building 30 feet to the west and about 10 feet south. That's Stephanie Cavazos from the CTA on why the building was moved. But how did it get moved? A fun fact is that the building never got lifted off the ground at all. So we remove the old foundation out, dig out the foundation, and then the beams go in one at a time. They slide, the house slides across the beams. There's nothing underneath it right now at all. It's, it's, it's like open space underneath the building with beams underneath it. And then we pour a new foundation under the building in its new spot. This is the first the CTA has moved a building, but at some point in Chicago's history, this was actually pretty common. I asked Ward Miller from Preservation Chicago about it. Hard to believe, isn't it? You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe it. But, you know, George Pullman of the Pullman Palace Car Company that built the town of Pullman. Yeah, get it out the mud. He lifted us out of the mud, right? Uh, before he was really involved in railroads and manufacturing of railroad cars and Pullman Palace cars and building Pullman, you know, 20 years later, uh, 20 years earlier, he was uh, he was lifting Chicago out of the mud. And one of his great feats was lifting uh, a great hotel, uh, that, which was known as the Briggs House. It burned in the Chicago fire of 1871. He had an army of men underneath the building, uh, lifting the building with jack screws, you know, a, a quarter of an inch or half an inch or less uh, to a whistle call. Uh, while the building was filled with a party of people all enjoying uh, enjoying the idea that they were being lifted out of the mud. I mean, you lift in a building, what's a couple extra thousand people on top of it? Right, exactly. Just fill it up with extra weight, right? So they were having parties inside as they were being hoisted up in the air. You know, something 
uh, I don't think we would allow it to happen because of what could happen, right? You know, Tyler and Hippic building at, at Wolf Point, where Chicago sort of began as a village, um, that building, that four-story masonry building that's now threatened with demolition, it's now the Cassidy Tire Company, was moved in early in its years in 1908 uh, to avoid the Northwest, the Chicago Northwestern tracks. And that, and that was done in horse and buggy days. So, you know, just think of what we could do. And, you know, instead of demolishing these buildings, let's just shift them around. It's a common colloquialism, common saying in my neighborhood to get it out the mud, right? To to pull yourself up, to pull your family up. Yeah, People don't realize Chicago literally got itself out of the mud, out of the swamp. When did this practice become less common? You know, uh, it was probably around the turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century, less common, but uh, this is not rocket science. And remember, we lifted ourselves out of the mud and we also created that um, that space un- underneath these buildings for sewers and, and all sorts of utilities. So, but why don't we have these homes protected? And why can't we figure out a way to protect the built environment in Chicago and and fill in the vacant lots instead of demolishing uh, historic buildings. When I see the word landmark, and I have a few times over the last couple of months when we talked about you know, saving the Emma Till and Mobley Till home, the home of Muddy Waters and other important figures, what does landmark status mean in terms of protecting and saving a building? Landmarking, for the most part, when we're talking about a landmark district, for instance, like the Newport Avenue district where the Bautravers building is really just protects the exterior um, elevations of the building and the roof line. And you can still add on to the roof and and, um, and add on to the back of the building, uh, unless it's on a highly visible corner location in which, you know, there's some standards to follow. And, and you can do whatever you want inside your house. It doesn't impact that. But it really, what landmark districts mean, uh, really are, are meant to keep the look, the feel, and the spirit of what you see, you know, the beauty of the district uh, or district of buildings. What's protected on the Valtravers building? Is it the entire building? So with Valtravers, it would be, because it's a, a landmark district, it would really be its exterior facades. So, uh, but if it were a sole landmark, which at the end of the day, it may be one day, uh, it could protect some interior features like uh, the vestibule, some of the staircases uh, and some of the special features of the building. But in general, uh, when, you, when we talk about landmark districts, we're talking about facades for the most part and roof lines and protecting that look, feel and spirit. Can you give me a little more history of the, the Vaultraverse building? Why is it so significant and why did it receive landmark status to begin with? This is a 127 year old building. So I know it's old, but why is it considered a landmark? Right. So it's considered a landmark as part of a larger district, a block long district of Newport Avenue. So it's really part of the Newport Avenue district versus being an individual sole landmark. It was built in 1894 and it was built as a residential six flat building. But, you know, it has a a certain curb appeal and charm that really appeals to the average person walking by. And these are buildings that are not um, necessarily, you know, printed in history books and and books on architecture across the world, but they're important to, um, they're important to the average person that sees them. They're beautiful structures. They're important to Chicago. And they're right. They're part of the Chicago landscape. 
for some people who are looking at these articles, they just see the price tag, 1.75 to purchase the building, 1.7 to move it. And they're asking themselves, is this worth taxpayer money when there's so many other infrastructure needs across Chicago? What would you say to people? I would say that our architectural environment and built environment in Chicago is known the world over. It's a source of tourism that brings uh, millions, tens of millions of people, estimated to be 60 million people a year to Chicago. Many of them uh, may be here for other reasons, but a lot of them are tourists that wanna see the built environment in Chicago. It's a special city. It's known for its architectural pedigree. And, you know, we may have uh, some waste that happens here uh, in terms of uh, money being spent. But these are these are dollars that uh, protect the streetscape and the look and the feel of Chicago. This is a stone's throw from Wrigley Field. Um, and it's really important in these large federal projects that we be as sensitive as possible and do it the right way. And so oftentimes, we do it the fast way. And to tell you the truth, the cost of demolishing the Vautravers building in the Lakeview community would probably be not too far off from the cost of moving it. Yeah. So this used to be an old norm. Will it become a new norm, moving a building like the, the Vautravers? Well, you know, ideally, we like to keep the buildings where they are. There are some regulations that say you shouldn't move a historic building. Uh, but there are exceptions. And for a public transit um, idea uh, to move people and to make transit more efficient, uh, sometimes you have to, you know, reevaluate things and make some exceptions. And this is an exception. Do I want this to be the new standard? No. But if, if this is the only way we can protect uh, historic features and structures, Yes. <laughs> One of the words you'll hear often on those architecture tours is contextualism. And while this isn't necessarily about contextualism, I appreciate you coming to give me more context on this. Ward Miller is the executive director with Preservation Chicago. Thank you for joining CityCast. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time and the opportunity to share our ideas, our views, and grateful. So now that the CTA has moved a building in Lakeview for the red and purple line, will they practice the same commitment to preservation over demolition on the south side when they extend the red line past 95th? Here's Stephanie Cavazos again from the CTA. Yeah, I think it's in the realm of possibilities. Now I think that we have a blueprint on how to do it. It opens up a new, a whole book of, you know, possibilities, which is um, definitely something that we will consider. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. Governor Pritzker announced that when in-person learning starts up at the end of the month, everybody in schools is going to be required to wear a mask. I mean, Chicago Public Schools had already announced their mask mandate, but now the governor's order extends to other schools across the city. The High Park Summerfest 2021 has unfortunately been canceled after announcing a new name and venue for one of the South Side's few summertime festivals. It's a huge disappointment after watching multiple festivals go off across the city this past week, but you got to do what's best for the people's safety. And some good news to get you through. We're going back to Lakeview as the Crosstown Classic kicks off tomorrow at Wrigley when the Sox play the Cubs. When I spoke to Sox announcer Lynn Casper a while back, we actually thought 
this could be a World Series preview. Yeah, we was wrong. But I mean, it should still be fun for some of us. Remember, for more Chicago stories and events, sign up for our daily newsletter at chicago.citycast.fm. And if you have been getting our newsletter, you probably noticed that refer a friend link. So do it. Refer a friend and you could get some CityCast merch. As always, I appreciate you for listening. Our lead producer, Carrie Shepard, is in front of the microphone tomorrow. So I'll talk to you on Monday. Peace. Nope. And changed the whole version of it. Goddamn, one more time.